0: Hey, everybody, this is Chuck Everson from Villanova University, and welcome to the Big East Rewind. The Big East Rewind came about when Sonny Sparrow and I from Syracuse University were on a recruiting trip and became friends. And we've been friends ever since. And we had a bond that is developed over playing in the very tough Big East Conference. The Big East Rewind is all about Big East basketball, old school style. With the battles and stories that came about during our time playing in the big east from the perspective of the media coaches former players and even officials so we hope you enjoy the big east rewind we're very excited for today's show we have the great hall of famer bill rafferty on with us as we talk about his career from high school as the number one high school basketball player in the country right on through his coaching career, and through his broadcasting career. You'll hear all about where all his famous expressions came from. I hope you enjoy it. Here it is, the Big East Rewind. Hello, everybody. I'm Chuck Everson, and welcome to the Big East Rewind Zoomcast. My co-hosts today are Big East superfan Daryl Gurney and Sonny Spera from Syracuse University. And today, our very special guest, we're very excited to have him here with us is one of the best color commentators in the game today, the Hall of Famer, the guy with the onions, Mr. <laughs> Billy. Billy, it was great, great to see you. Good to see you, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great, Chuck. Thank you. Of course, how does Sonny fit in this? They're not in the Big East anymore. You know
1: what, <laughs> you know, Sonny and I have. A,
0: Sonny and I have a long history. When I visited Syracuse, Sonny was my host. Right. Sean Kearns, and... Um, thanks to the fine job that Sonny did with me at Syracuse, I wound up going to Villanova and we've remained friends ever since.
1: I thought it was Bayhine's warm personality that drew you know, <laughs>
0: <for> to <it>. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was part, Sonny, that's part to, of it.
1: Good to see you too, Sonny. I enjoyed watching you play. That's how far back I go. It's crazy.
0: Good to, uh,
2: <laughs> you have to have some memory to remember my right. playing days.
1: <laughs> I mean, we, um, You know, having been the first two years of uh, the league, fortunately, you know, Seton Hall was asked to come in after a couple of people turned him down, really. But uh, to get to know that group, uh, you know, the I don't want to say animosity, but the deep feelings against uh, Georgetown by Syracuse and vice versa. uh, it, It was funny as the years we wanted to see those two guys become pals, which is extraordinary right. you know jimmy felt that john got every call uh which he may have but uh and then of course you know Roly and uh louie god bless louie i think louie's 96 and still with us yeah. and uh, of course roley passed away and you know we got to know him i knew him since he was a high school coach but living down in florida and being in his company you know was uh, a nice special way uh not for him to leave us, but uh, to get to know him a lot better. But, the, you know, the Calhouns of the world came in a little later and through television I got to know them as well. Uh, just amazing one-name league in those years. You know, the players were one-names, you know, whether it was Louie and Bowie before you or uh, Chris or Patrick. Right. Everybody everybody had first. Name. And the coaches were the same. You know, two Jimmys or Roly Louie. I mean, it's like uh, just an amazing era to be somewhat a part of and it was I was smart enough to get out early enough to survive because I don't think we could have handled those teams on a consistent basis for a long time.
0: So were you at one time when you were coaching at Seton Hall, were you the president of the of the Coaches Association in the Big East at one time? What are you trying to prove you've done your homework? I Daryl mean, yes. has done his homework. What are you, a journalist now? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I'm just, you know, we were talking, we were all talking before you came on. We're like, how the heck did you handle all of those personalities in that room? Yeah, how well, about all the, all the Italians? How'd that go? Uh,
1: dinner was fine, you know. <laughs> uh, plenty of good wine with that crowd. Well, I, I always said I was the president because they all beat us. Uh, so I, there was no <laughs> line of resistance. Uh, but well, I remember one year, though, uh, you know, those sales charts, you know, where you have a bunch of salesmen in and they flip chart and the next thing and they write things on it. So this one year, I put all their names down, like down on one column. And on the top, I put the suggestive terms they potentially might use during our two to four hour meeting. Uh, they weren't they, they weren't profane, but they bordered on profanity. Uh, just to let you know, by the time the meeting was over, usually it was about referees in those days. I mean, it was always this guy took care of you; he doesn't help me. And that kind of stuff. By the end of the day or the the morning session, the chart was full of check notes on. No good SOB, bump, up, bump, 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 It was Just, just <laughs> anything went in those days, you know? We even got Dr. Tom Davis to say a couple of flowery things in those days. <laughs> uh, course, and that was that was
0: right at the beginning of the whole Big East. That's when it started, right? Bill? Yeah,
1: that's when nobody knew how good it was, uh, but the potential. And Sonny knew Jake Krauthamel. Jake, Jake was forgotten in this thing. I mean, he was. He's the one that got Bayheim to consider it. And I think the hardest thing was for Louis and uh, Jimmy Boeheim, uh, because they were going to win 25 games a year on the schedule they had and go to a tournament. So now here they were sacrificing what was a sure thing to, you know, ultimately was a competitive night every night in the, in the conference. So I think their sacrifice, uh, you know, ushered in by Jake there, and John Toner at Connecticut also, uh, a lot of us were hat in hand, you know, happy to be part of it, because if we weren't in that, as it turned out, uh, we would be, we meaning Seton Hall and others would be the middle of the road, uh, you know, not denigrating any conference, but probably in one bid leagues, to be honest with you.
2: It's it's interesting you said that because as a basketball player, we always saw Jake as a football first guy, Right. Football coach, and that it's interesting to hear you you give that perspective that he was encouraging to coach Bayheim to come into the league
1: well, uh maybe it's partially true, but the relationship of Jake with Dave Gavick goes back to Dartmouth
2: yes, right so
1: mm-hmm. so that that was part of and Jake had to really believe in it for Dave to talk him into it because in their own way, they had strong opinions. Uh, I would say Dave was more diplomatic than Jake uh, in in certain situations. But uh, another interesting thing that that, uh, just as an aside, uh, at the meetings, Dave and Julie, like you'd go to dinner and they'd pick a restaurant or they would have one night, which was just a whole group called family, I guess. But we'd go to a restaurant and you could never sit with like four coaches it had to be one of the ads or two of them at your table, and that's that was like a part of the genius of Gavit, where we go into Syracuse and Jake was now our friend, like we'd have a conversation, talk about family, and the same thing at each of these institutions, and and I, it it really made it uh, you know comfortable and soothing, and you really developed a care for that particular guy and their university as well.
2: Chuck mentioned it last time we talked about this because that was one of the things that we thought the Big East separated from other conferences. We had the um, the luncheon before the yeah. Big East tournament and all the players mixed at all the different tables. Were, uh, were you part of that too, coach?
1: We, we, uh, we couldn't afford lunch the first two years <laughs> of the league, you know. But... but uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think that was part of the overall uh, attitude that all of us were individual institutions striving every year, and, and that Dave and, uh, and others, I should say, because he leaves somebody out. Dave Duffy, who many of you may know, both of you may know, but Dave was the marketing genius in the Big East, Duffy and Shanley in Providence. And he had been a, uh, an aide to Governor Rockefeller when he ran for president. And Dave's still with us and a brilliant guy. And and he, hand in hand with Mike Trangisi and Dave, decided, Trangisi. look, we we can really develop what they have in the ACC. I'll use that as a good example. Where we play those teams and we compete with them. And you know from Syracuse, you did that as well. And Villanova did years ago. used to play West Virginia. When West Virginia, not that they're not bad now, but uh, you played all those teams. And unfortunately, a lot of the times you had to go to their building. Uh, but fortunately, with mutuals, you know, sites like the Garden, we could all play those heavy weights. And, and their, their philosophy was, we're as good as anybody, but we just don't have uh, the media behind us, or we don't have the marketing expertise. And I think that's what made the league go, the administrative end of things, as well as the great players that... Uh, they were able to entice to the different universities. And I do remember Dave at one of the early meetings saying that, you know, seeing all in Providence, even though he had been there, we probably didn't have the philosophy or the finances or the backing as some of the other schools. And Dave said his ambition was someday every school gets to the point that they can get to a final four. So of course, I was smart enough to get out early, and I didn't make it, or our team didn't. But in '87, Patino makes it, and they were—you know—Providence was an afterthought, be Prior, and then, of course, two years later, does a PJ get to the Final Four? Uh, and Dave, Dave—he just had—he just great had a creative mind and understanding. If everybody bought in and did the right thing for your program, you'd have a chance to excel in this conference. And he was right. It turned out, particularly for those two teams, is the rest of them sort of had a little bit of a history at that point, you know, without getting into the Villanovas and Georgetown's yeah. of 85, et cetera, et cetera. And of course the Q's, you know, but, uh, and, and of course Connecticut then, you know, took the high road pretty good a few years later. So I just think all of their understanding of what it would take to be successful, uh it
0: influenced the different ADs and coaches and programs. He, he did a, point. Sounds like he did a lot of little things to keep everybody together. like Much of the way we, we just talked about with the, with the coaches having the meetings and with the ADs and stuff. Right. And Sonny mentioned the luncheons. You have a bond as a player with guys that played on other teams. Like I, through the advent of Facebook and some of these other things and social media, you get to talk to some of the guys that you played against which is kind of how this this whole thing that we're doing came about. Um, the old story, swapping stories with guys from Pittsburgh or St. John's or Syracuse, Georgetown, et cetera. You know, that all came from the camaraderie of sitting around the, the lunch table at the Big East tournament the day before the tournament started. And then, you know, once once the lights went on at the garden, all bets were off at that point.
1: Well, you know, in the early 80s, of you you guys were part of it. There were some incidents here and there. Uh, some exciting <laughs> moments, to say the least. Is
2: that how you uh, put it? <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: uh, a couple of, uh, you know, Friday night at the fights kind of thing at <laughs> yeah. the Square Garden. But I just think, from as the years went on, there was a, a natural affection and rooting for the other team when they would play against other teams, and and you can see it now when you know kids like a nasty not a, not a flavor, but like a, a basketball nasty play that the kids, they're willing to help out and get that kid up because they respect them. It's just, you know, part of basketball. And I, I, I see that more and more with these different teams. And I just think the beginning was everybody was fighting for their own turf, uh, you know, trying to be part of something bigger than some of them it had ever been. And, uh, I think it just led to some, uh, emotional situations, uh, you know, the <laughs> officials in those days, I mean, they had their hands full, as you well know. Uh, a lot of them didn't know their first name. You know, Jim, Timmy Higgins, to, he didn't realize his first name. He thought it was something dirty that they they hollered out. <laughs> something so-and-so Higgins or whoever, you know. But, he, uh... <laughs> he officiated
2: for how many years?
1: Oh, he did. He did. And, and, you know, it took guys like that to deal with the... Uh, I guess the spirit and emotion on the sideline of the coaches, uh, and the venom that, that came out, you know, fighting for their lives. And, uh, they were able to cope with it and, you know, keep the ship afloat, so to speak. But, uh, I do, I do have, there's many stories, but one I can recall with Roly and Louie are playing one another at Villanova. And I think it's after Chuck's group, you know, after the championship group and, uh, Roley and Louie used to want to, they wanted to win two to one. That's they. neither one of them want to shoot the ball or make a mistake. They want, they'd be happy if they beat you two to one. So it's one of those rock fights. And uh, I'm looking over and all of a sudden Louie and Roley are at half court joying at one another and they they were great pals. So I'm like, I'm not not even watching the game. It's going back and forth. I think Chuck may may have heard this story. And anyhow, I find out after the game, Al Abalbo was on the bench for St. John's and Roley hadn't been kissing his ring. Al had a great influence on Bob Knight, Mike Krzyzewski, all of us that coached great, brilliant, particularly on the defensive end. Well, Roley hadn't been kissing his ring. So there was a block charge call and Roley stood up and he said to Louie, like, I'm sorry. Like it, it went for Villanova and it was a bad call. And Louie turns with his bad hearing and says to Al, what did he say? And uh, this is all later I found. That he said, he called you a hot dog. So now up jumps Louie. I'm no hot dog. What are you calling me a hot dog for? But uh, those were the spirited sidelines, even with good friends.
0: Well, speaking of spirited coaches, Bill, I, I, I saw some stuff um, when you were coaching at Seton Hall and, and when you get, so I guess you came through Fairleigh Dickinson to get to Seton Hall, right? And you you had the quite the wardrobe. You were to me, you looked like a combination of of Coach Mass and Jay Wright. You had all the suits. Oh. They always wound up on the floor with your shirt out and your hair going. Wrong. Is that is that out?
1: Well, they'd both be offended by that comment, I'm sure. You know? <laughs> In fact, I guess I guess Jay's Taylor. I, I just saw he did pass away.
0: Yeah, but, Gabe. Um, yeah,
1: Ro, uh, Rolly Rolly liked one of Jay's shirts this is the last couple of years and jay said we'll go over and get one or two and he went over and he got like seven or eight of these tailored shirts Rolly well, used to he used to ask for the order pass him the envelope uh yeah, it was just I, I, again you know you it was the everybody liked to get dressed up you know mine were a little outlandish i think you know i could have been the night waiter at sardis i guess but <laughs> uh it was part of uh the profession you know you you were representing the school and your team and it uh, was part of it. And in those days, I mean, I, I can't imagine, I know what Roly made. I know what I made. You, you were doing it because you really liked it. I mean, uh, you know, the, the fellows that benefited from it were later in terms of finances, but they loved it too and worked their way into those jobs. And I think that's what we have and, and have had consistently in the big East where guys really wanted to coach and the numbers were on a important. And of course, because of their success, the numbers have increased. Plus, the TV contracts have increased.
2: (laughs) Coach, we got to get a little bit of your history because in learning some of this, I was was, uh, fascinated. Three sport, all state in high school, in soccer, baseball, and basketball. And you were the New Jersey leading scorer for 20 years, I believe. I'm not sure. Right 25, right? So, so you yeah. had quite an accomplished career, right? Well, and you had at one point. I did my research too, but at one point we saw you won 12 baseball games pitching in a row, which means you probably hadn't lost one in a long time.
1: Oh uh, well, maybe 12 of my lifetime, I guess. But <laughs> you know, I was I went to a little Catholic school. There were 300 girls and 100 boys. Oh, nice. And I couldn't get a date (laughs) (laughs) with those numbers. But uh, in those days, and and I'm sure with your children, they're forced to decide on a sport. Uh, Whereas we had a delineation of seasons. So, you know, we had soccer would start in the fall. And in our little town was big Scotch Irish town. Uh, In fact, we had... uh, Later on, like in the early 90s in the World Cup, we had three kids, Harks, Mayola, and uh, Ramos, on the World Cup team, all from our town. So you had to play soccer. You weren't considered an athlete, basically. And baseball was big. And basketball, we benefited by uh, Hudson County, which we were from, but by going over to Jersey City and getting our heads Mm -hmm. handed to us, or going to Essex County and Newark and East Orange. And you know, playing up really. Uh so that that took care of, of that. But uh, I, I do have a cute story. We, we played Al Downing. How many guys remember that name?
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, he threw the, the pitch to
1: Hank Aaron, right? Hank Aaron, 755. Now, the two the two biggest hits of Al Downing were by Hank Aaron and myself. <laughs> they weren't good. the they weren't the biggest moment. Or mine wasn't the biggest moment, but we played Trenton Babe League team for the state championship. And I think it was Idaho the winner would go to. Now, being from Kearney, Idaho seemed like another world, obviously. So Al Downey, we, we lost 2-1. to one. And Al Downing threw a curveball, which we used to call a drop, that was like Sandy Koufax's. Like, we knew playing this guy, like, we're never going to make the major leagues, basically. But the hit I got... I hit it off the top of the bat and it went towards first base. And the spin, as he ran over, took the ball towards third base and I beat it out. And the one run was like a sacrifice, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, a, a, a pitch and also I'm on third of sacrifice. That's how we got the one run. We never got another hit. So, you know, God bless Hank Aaron uh you know who obviously had a storied career I hate to put my name in that class but uh the two biggest hits ever against Al Downey
0: wow there Sonny, you go Sonny brings that up because he was also a pitcher and oh, are you? Uh, short shortstop too right son
2: yep same as you coach well when, so, yep. when
0: I went to LaSalle Sonny
1: uh I played baseball you know a little bit the first year you know you're ineligible anyhow uh the first game they let me pitch, and you know, big five baseball was pretty good. Villanova was really good, and uh, anyhow, I, th- I think it's Swarthmore, and he let me start, and I walked the first three guys, and I hit the fourth play- the fourth hitter, you know, in the head, and that was the end of my baseball career.
0: Uh, so I sort of stuck to basketball after that. And, and you played you played basketball, La LaSalle, too. What were the What were the big five games like back then? Was it Was it as crazy as it was? You know. Well, it was
1: like it was like you wouldn't have to worry about this with your way with women. It was a date night. It was a big date night if you if you had somebody that would say hello to you. You know, but uh, you know if you had the Saturday game, that was like, you know, you didn't have to go back to the campus. You always had somebody in those days. It wasn't the taverns or the pubs or whatever, we all had house parties. Uh, You know, Villanova, there's, Concha Hocken had a firehouse. I remember going there, Mm -hmm. like on, you know, a weekend off or something, uh, beer for a dollar kind of a deal for the whole evening. But uh, the big five, St. Joe's was our big rival. And we thought they were ours, but they were you, you know, Villanova. You know, so St. Joe's, I guess for some reason there was, a, you know, a lot of people worked together maybe that developed that. But the, game, the, the the big five was great. You know, the coaches were legendary, you know, Litwack, McCluskey, Ramsey, Al Severance at the beginning, yeah. uh, you know, at over. And we had Duty Moore, who was, you know, just uh, absolutely adored at Duquesne in Pittsburgh. And that, that's why a lot of us went there. He, he was like the John Wooden of the 50s. And then he came to Philly, and he was like a, you know, the big fish, small fish, big town, small town. And yeah. he was just an afterthought uh, at that point, you know, because of the big names in, in terms of coaching. But, you know, it was something special. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what it's like now. I know it's an encumbrance for some programs, the big five now, you know, for, you know, like a Temple of Villanova that yeah. you know, they're playing in. Different conference. as is St. Joe's too. So, it's, did they play uh, all the games at the Palestra back then? Too? Yeah, that was the big difference. That was our home court too. We oh, played okay. one game. We played one game a year at Lincoln High. It would be like a, a Lehigh. Uh, who, who could I make up? Somebody from upstate, kind of that was in that M M M A A C Middle Atlantic Athletic Conference. I think they called it. Delaware was in it. Temple, St. Joe's, ourselves. Lehigh, Lafayette, Albright, and obviously that, you know, didn't last with the formation of these other conferences as the years went on. Yeah. Hey, Coach, as far as about, your uh, back, back, back injury at uh, LaSalle, is it possible that that ended up being a blessing in disguise for you? Being a to sit uh, next <laughs> to your coach that, that one year, is it possible your, your career your oh, yeah, been that, altered? Well, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I've never heard that brought up quite that way. Yeah, I was uh, – I got operated. I had played 18 minutes and I had all sorts of doctors, including Dr. Mandarino, who was the Eagle doctor. And uh, eventually it was just like a matter of, I had to get this thing done. And Dr. Andre for that time, it was a laminectomy. And I was like, those things didn't happen in the early sixties. Well, they could have happened, but they may not have been successful. So I sat there and, uh, it was late, like, you know, it was just things were crazy. Let's put it that way on our team. You know, we were like a 15 and eight fraud kind of, you know, like we, we'd win what we were supposed to win and we couldn't win the ones we were, that, that would really make you, you know. So I, I sat and he would ask me what I thought. And I guess indirectly. Uh, but I, I think more so, even though that was an important aspect, I think, you know, once I got cut at the Nick camp, And like now, like, what do you do? Like, and I got a phone call that like October, uh, would you like to coach? That's how I got into coaching. So I was the director of recreation and part-time coach till I got a master's. So I think, yeah, it had an influence, uh, but trying to stay close to the game was probably as big an influence. Do
2: do you want to talk about the uh, Syracuse Coach Beheim and LaSalle Coach Raftery on court battle?
1: Uh, well, uh, we never played against one another, but uh, we played Syracuse just prior to the beginning of what they are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Bing was a freshman with uh, Jimmy, and uh, we came up to play him. I think it was a Goldberg who could really play Uh one, my sophomore year, we played in the Onondago War Memorial.
2: There you go. Yeah. You know
1: where that baby is? I sure do. Right. And John Mackey and the other great football player were on the basketball team. Uh, not little. Uh, anyhow, they got in the game, they dribbled the ball, the crowd went crazy. I mean, dribbled the ball. They weren't really basketball players, but that's where the program was. And then our senior year, we went up and you know we watched the freshman game manly is packed they're in manly at this point it's packed it's got the dirt floors do I mean, you yep. remember, remember all that uh-huh. and uh we went in to get dressed we came back out there was nobody there because they were there to see bing and bayheim and that great freshman team uh, nicoletti am i saying it right yeah from jersey they had really a good team I'm, sorry, I'm sort of—I got out of dodge at the right time. You know, we didn't have to play them, but I never got on the court with Jimmy, who later I got to know playing in. I didn't get to know him personally, but know of him when he played in the Eastern League. I mean, right. he was a tough. You know, he—you know—he looks like the professor. I'll tell you what, he is some competitor, and you know it shows too when he gets a little excited uh, and not enamored with the officials on the sideline.
2: <laughs> so politically correct. <laughs> so talk to us about like when now you're in the now you get to the so you're at fairly dickinson you're 22 years old you're a head coach and then you get the job at seton hall right and then you start making a name in coaching and then the big east comes about talk about some of the matchups either that you dreaded or that you look forward to as a coach in the big east
1: well, you know, starting starting at Fairley, I, I have no idea what I did as a coach. I mean, I used whatever my high school coach gave me or whatever I got from my college coach. You know, uh, the be- I used to say the best recruit I ever had at Fairley Dickinson, Gail Holzman, Red's daughter. Yeah. Red and Selma took her out to visit our campus, and she chose Fairley Dickinson Madison. And I said, "It's the best recruit I ever had," but she can't help me win any games. You know. <laughs> But uh, uh, the, the St. hall days were uh, the local. When I started, St. Peter's was a big rival because they were better than we were.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: they had they beaten Duke in the NIT by 30 points, believe it or not. Rinaldi was the leading scorer in the country in the early 70s. The Bullets then, now the Wizards uh, drafted him. And slowly, you know, it became those different Catholics, St. John's, obviously, and Villanova. Uh, sort of an aside and Chuck knows this story Villanova played Seton Hall for 75 straight years and Rolly and I uh, got into a few discussions at at different uh, in different buildings whereas the (laughs) ADs met in New Brunswick and they decided we have to cancel the series so the two of us uh, forced the cancellation of 75 years of history, you know. But uh, interestingly, with Gavitt, they went then to the Atlantic, I uh, do know what they call it. The Oh, my God. Penn State was in it. Uh, Atlantic 10. Man, I can't come up with it. One of those leagues that was formed. And uh, we end up, they came into the Big East the second year. They were not a charter member of Villanova. So now I'm the president, and Dave says, You know, Villanova's in the league. I want you to introduce Roly Massimino to the group here. So, like, normally you give it a big thing, Roly Massimino with a great success and, you know, the accomplished coach, and wherever he's gone, he's won. You do the whole thing to these seven to 10 guys. So I was still mad at Roly. I said, Villanova's in the league. Roly Massimino's the coach. That was it. Like, no huggy, kissy, <laughs> hug you know so we end the meeting we go out to our carts and guess who dave gabbett's clubs are in the cart with me roly that's the way (laughs) dave that's what they would do you know but uh anyhow out of that we obviously became great friends but that gets back to the competitiveness you were sort of fighting for your lives but uh Those, you know, Villanova was always important because they were always good. Uh, BC would be the same. See, the league started, well, Providence was one we played every year, you know, from the Ernie D and Marvin Barnes games. uh, You know, they were, and Georgetown was another one. So, but mostly that Catholic League group was the rivalry for us, uh, added, added to some local things like, you know, the Fordham teams, the Manhattan teams. They were bigger then than they became later, obviously, with the advent of the Big East.
2: Now, you guys played in Walsh Gymnasium, right? Which is obviously a nice home court advantage, which Syracuse used to have at Manly Fieldhouse, right? right. So now, as this league is, and you're going to all these different places, talk, do you want to talk at all about some of the places that you brought your teams, the environments? How was that How was that as a coach?
1: Yes, Coach Bayheim, you're going to get him on here. Have you had I,
2: we're gonna we're gonna reach out to oh, coach. He's working I, on that. Yeah, I, I'm sure how, we'll get
1: him. I, I, I'll just say this: ask him how much he liked playing at Walsh Auditorium.
2: Oh, I, I could tell you.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> what happened? He he, and I, I'm not sure. I can't say John, but he's the one that got Dave to put a number of attendants in the building in order to, a, to play a home court. And, of course, that affected Georgetown and Roberts at BC. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And I guess Connecticut a little bit, but they, they of course, had Hartford and were about to build Gamble, you know. But, uh, no, it was a tremendous home court. I mean, if we didn't win at home, you know, I would have been, you know, selling luxury products earlier than I'd started. It just, uh, you know, it was a great advantage, you know, the intimidating factor. And that's what's interesting today, uh, you know, the reason teams are winning on the road, whether it's Duke or you name it, any place to juice, you know, the referees, you know, when they make a call, it's pretty gratifying when the crowd supports what they (laughs) call, you know, it's just psychologically, you know, that block charge. And so I think that's all gone now. Uh, It's just basically a game, uh, which is obviously we all want to watch anyhow, but that, that particular, but the little buildings were, you know, that, that's the way it was in those days. And, you know, when I first got at Walsh, geez, it was, you know, now they they don't even practice at Walsh. They practice in the, you know, down down the back of the building, they have a court that they put in. But, uh no, it was an advantage. Louis had one at Conaseca. You know, uh, were you there when the, the big block charge call that went against Syracuse and Jimmy went nuts? Uh, I forget what year that was. But that was one of the last times they played there at Conaseca too. But yeah, that us, was
2: uh, Alumni Arena, right, with against Louis? I'm not. Yeah, oh, yeah, before
1: yeah. it was kind of second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for us, what the Garden did, every year we would play four to five big-name teams, and we would never return the game. That was the deal. So you name anybody that was great in the country, you know, whether it was Duke, uh, Carolina, Vegas, we played all of those teams in the Garden, South Carolina with Frank, Brian Winters made, I think, two free throws at the, you know, with no time left on the clock to beat us. But that gave us an opportunity, not that we beat them, but to steal one occasionally and not have to go back and play them. And Dean Smith, used just say to me, Billy, you're the only guy that never returned the game. I said, Coach, what do you want to kick my ass down at Chapel Hill? It's nice in New York. You go have dinner, go to go to Weston's, have a cocktail. But uh, that was an advantage that we had that, you know, helped us play up and, you know, play some really good basketball teams, you know. <laughs> and, of course, Iona was another because, you know, Valvano got there. They became pretty good. PJ became actually good. That's when was hurt. there,
0: right? Pardon me? Yeah, Rulin That's when Jeff Rulin was there, right?
1: Yeah, we lost to them to get into the NCAA tournament. They had an ECAC, like, play-in game. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, Jeff was good, very good. Big time, as he turned out in the pros, too,
2: as well. Yeah. So, Coach, you uh, stepped down from Seton Hall, and this opportunity comes along for you to to become uh, an announcer. How did
1: that whole thing play out? Uh, Gavin was doing the color, and he decided that he was not going to do it this one year. And I had said to him, not thinking, I thought I was going to become John Wooden. You know, like the greatest to ever be on the sideline kind of stuff. Uh, that, that I realized I was wrong quite early. But what, what I said to him one night, we were out, I said, you know, Dave, what you're doing, I like that. Maybe someday down the road, never thinking that I would, you know, leave. And uh, uh, 81, October like 28th. 81. We're in practice two weeks, and he called and he said, Look, if you want to do this color uh, analyst job, you got to let me know within two days because I just don't want to interview a lot of people. And, you know, people call on the phone and, and bother them a little bit. So I called him back. I said, I'll take it. So I took it for nine games, $800 a game with four children. And that's how I left uh, coaching. And it was hard to leave because we, you know, we really had a nice group. In fact, Hottie ended up 9-0. and This was Calandrillo's senior year, became Big East Player of the Year. Yeah. And they came out of the gate 9-0. and They beat Houston and Notre Dame amongst some locals. Mm-hmm. And uh, three kids were declared ineligible. And Hottie had like six or seven players at the most. I mean, guys that could compete at that level. And uh, he ended up a little less than 500, unfortunately for him. And fortunately for PJ, that's how PJ ended up uh, getting the job. But uh, it was, uh, I loved every moment of it. I must admit it was the first year was hard, not going to a gym or not, you know, get preparing for a season. And, uh, but quickly, you know, you sort of fall in love with doing that, doing the job and evaluating teams and getting preparing for, uh, you know, different philosophies and different guys and, Uh, It just became something that kept me close to the game and, you know, hopefully kept me young as well.
2: I'll tell you, as a player, and I'm sure Chuck will, will second this, but as a player, you had announcers that came in and you could just say, let's say their opinion was much higher of themselves than where it should be. And how they called the game was very it was it was almost like they were going to knock somebody and make themselves look good. But when we knew that you were on the game, we knew it was a coach, someone we knew, someone we liked, and it was going to be a fair call, right? Not not uncritical, but in a fair way. And it was a pleasure to have you on this on the broadcast booth. For so many games, it made it better. I didn't have to turn the volume off. I thought it was fantastic. So
1: uh, that's very nice of you. You know, I, I think where whatever you are, it's because of the house you were raised in, and uh, I, I think it's easy. It, it's it's actually easy to criticize in a nice way, uh, you know. And I, I, you know, I played as you guys did. And I had some terrible games and some bad plays and cost ourselves a game here and there. And as a coach, I probably did the same thing. So, you know, I, I it's just the way you look at a game. Uh, there's a lot of positives, and nobody misses a free throw, or you know, creates a violation or does something that we would say is out of the ordinary or didn't use his head. And I, I just it's like a small part of the game. So you just move on. And, and, you know, these kids are given everything they have. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, ridicule is a form of ignorance, I think. So just uh, try to
0: enjoy what they do, you know,
2: That's perfect.
0: I tell you what, coach, I, I can watch a little sisters of the poor game as long as you and Gus Johnson are calling the game. It's, it's, It's with the two (laughs) of you guys talk about, the preparation for a game because our mutual friend, Mark Plansky, who does some. uh, He's very good. He's pretty good, you know, and, um, and he, I've seen him, you know, go uh, on the road and talk with coaches at practice and get to know him. But there's more than that. I mean, a lot of people at home think you guys just get to the game or, or nowadays your living room and sit down, watch the game and just talk about what you see. But there's much, much more that goes into that, including, game films and talking with coaches and players, right?
1: The only guy I know that could do uh, do a game without watching a team or uh, really looking at tape would be Al McGuire. Because he, I guess he felt the game and he felt the situation and he just had a natural understanding of what could happen. But, you know, now... It's like you know, to really be part of it, like it's, you know, I, I sit here and those are some notes that on each team that very few of them make the broadcast, but it's when they run something, you want to know how that guy did get free, you know, or what they do in certain situations if you can, but it's no mystery. Uh, you know, you, if you like what you're doing, you go the extra step and no matter what profession we're all in. And and I feel, and I always did, because I was that game. By that, I remember being at Fairley, and we played John Jay, you know, the, the yeah. criminal school. Yeah. I forget what there's a better term than that, but school of law. It's not a school of law, but anyhow, uh, that night, LIU was playing St. Peter's. And you guys are saying, well, that's not a... Well, the winner was going to go to the NIT. So this is in the middle 60s. So we we're playing an afternoon game and the St. Peter's coach who was a friend of mine left tickets for our team to go watch that game on the way home from Brooklyn. And uh, I remember saying to the kids, like, uh, this is the biggest game on this Saturday. I don't care who else is playing. No matter what game you're,
2: we're coach you, you coach Here you go. were just you were just in the middle of talking about going to the game in Brooklyn and you got you got
1: oh pickup. I got swashed okay yeah. uh, I maybe thought, I thought maybe Chuck didn't pay his bill you know <laughs> no I'm just saying we, we were going over to play this this game and, and in college it would be insignificant in the college basketball world except for the two teams and the coach or not the coaches but the school itself and and whatever community they're from but That that like a couple hours after ours, St. Peter's was playing LIU at the armory in Jersey City. And the winner was going to go to the NIT. And the St. Peter's coach, Don Kenny, was a good friend of mine. He made arrangements for us to go to the game. But before our game, I was telling our players that this is the biggest game of the day because we're in it, you know, and we have an obligation to treat it that way. And and I think uh, I'll leave some of the stuff out I was carrying on there. But I think in broadcasting, I feel the same way that if you're assigned a game, it's significant to a lot of people uh, and you have a responsibility to prepare and and treat it as such. And, And I think all the guys in it really do. I mean, you don't last long if you don't do that.
2: So you're going for – so let's just take just take that transition. So you're preparing as a coach, right? So you're preparing to play Syracuse. You're preparing to play Villanova, St. John's, Georgetown. Now you're an analyst of the game. What changed in the perspective? Like when, when you started that, did you look back and say, oh, my goodness, I really missed some of the things that Georgetown does or I really missed some of the key things that, you know, the time that Dr. Davis is running at Boston College. What What did you – like, what was a big reflection of, wow, this is what I saw?
1: Well, did, did you have film of every game at Syracuse? No. Probably a different ones, maybe a couple.
2: Very that, few, that's probably,
1: yep. that's probably the biggest difference right there. Uh, you know, you, you you get a couple a year and you look at them. Now, I have every game in my living room or dining room or wherever I want to sit. And, and it's, you know, I'm doing it. And in a lot of cases although we were permitted to scout, which I did a lot of too, I enjoyed going to see the opponent, uh, your assistant or somebody else looked at and then translated to you. This is more hands-on and direct. I will say this though. The one great thing about going to all these arenas and, you know, seeing coaches work, you really say, you know what, I didn't do as good a job as I could have. You know, the, the, I'm so impressed with the detail of these people, uh, you know, the skill improvement that they have now that, you know, they've got all summer now. I mean, the kids now live at Syracuse or Villanova. And and in many instances, you know, it's for some it's a really great time academically. It's a great time to grow as a basketball player. It's a great time to stay out of trouble too because you're not going home and seeing some of your pals and maybe doing some things you shouldn't be doing. But uh, I'm just overly amazed that, how good the coaching is and how kids respond to it too. They, you know, they're, they, they're sponges now. I sometimes wonder even as a player, I listen, but that I really understand what, what my coach was doing or in my, in coaching sense, uh, maybe I could have gotten the players to better understand what they could do. But I think that's the gradual progress in every uh, profession, you know, where things get better and you learn more, and you're able to expand your horizons. You know, I got hoop on video. Uh, I've got every game now. Right. But the thing, the thing for me, mostly these next three weeks, are teams that we don't do. Like I try and have, you know, Wofford, Winthrop, Drake, Loyola, because once we get into uh, the tournament, like you're, you got three days to prepare for eight teams. And you might only know two or three of them, so you gotta have like a little, little uh, background or insight into them. So it's all, you know. I wish I were as good a student or as prepared academically. I could have become a uh, a dentist or something of that high <laughs>
0: There you go, son. You go. <laughs> talk talk to us about how did you come up? How did all the expressions, all the famous? sayings the onions the kiss off the glass the, the or, tin that you, yeah how was that just something that happened during the I, game is that something not, you thought about or
1: not really i think it's just uh bad living bad habits <laughs> late at night in the wrong spot listen i've been uh, with you you
0: do all right bill i've been with you a few nights
1: <laughs> I, I think the characters you meet in your lifetime are a, an influence, but no, I don't write anything down. It just sort of pops out, and uh, hopefully it works. You know, uh, it fits. A lot of it is to be succinct. You know, uh, like the man to man, be at the beginning of the game, and of uh, course I'm always killing Bayheim on it. You know, Syracuse starts with a two three zone with man principles, <laughs> so that was uh, you know just something a little twist on it. But you no, know, just stuff that. Uh, You know, you uh, natural environment that you're raised in or you travel in and, you know, hopefully it it, it works, you know. So, uh, again, a lot of it is to, you know, describe something and get out of the way. And uh, onions fits a very unique category, you know, for all of us when you're in a, you don't think of it as a stressful situation, but a situation where you've got to raise the level of play. Or performance, uh, whether it's becoming more industrious, or you know, making a real tough decision, and it's, it's a, you know, it's like a lot of takes a lot of inner strength. Let's put it that way.
0: Good spot yeah, right, exactly, exactly. Get the puppies organized is another one. That yeah, I don't know how right? that started. Uh, I, I, you know,
1: the one, the one that I know have one started, the lingerie on the deck. Because my mother never ever liked the word "jock, <laughs> so I had to figure a way that she wouldn't be mad at me uh and that's how that happened, you know, it sort of fit, and the pearl put a lot of lingerie on the deck up, the yes, he did,
0: yeah. wow, especially He's, against us, he broke some ankles, did he? <laughs> yeah, well, you yeah he. Sure
2: coach can t- talk about a couple of uh, a couple of like key memorable moments of yours coaching in the big east albeit against whoever it is just just there's got to be a couple things that you know having a having a beer having a little uh you know road soda so to speak Right. what, what kind of things would uh, what kind of things come to mind
1: well I, I think in the old days we went out more with the coaches like mm-hmm. you were staying in a town uh Bayheim Bayheim only goes out when he wins. I mean, (laughs) like PJ, I think PJ lost 21 straight games to Syracuse. Jim went out with him 21 21 straight times. (laughs) (laughs) PJ beat him and Jimmy wouldn't go out. I mean, it's like he's talking about a sore loser, right? But, uh, so, you know, nothing really jumps out in terms of a specific, but, you know, a lot, a lot of it, actually a lot of it was in the summer more so, you know, you're at the same camp, you're looking at the same players and, and, you know, today's job is a little easier for coaches because of the, the quiet periods. You know, I, I can remember, you know, Roley was as industrious as anybody, you had to go to that summer league game. If you thought you might have a shot with that kid and you'd have to drive from one summer league game to another, uh, to stay on top of it. Now, of course, it's crazy now, but you know, with all these AAU things and you know, domicile teams in Vegas, you know, it's like a three way, a uh, three day, like really get out and uh, and work at it. But now they, they have a, actually have a family life where they have a month at home or they're restricted to the campus, and it's uh, it's good for them, I think. And uh, you know, they think it's a, a money saving thing, which I'm sure it is. But I think it's a healthy thing too.
2: A little more balance in everybody's life.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, you can have your family, and, and the other thing too, like these guys, their families are all involved in it. It seems, you know, whether it's bringing the recruits over to the house or the team meetings, a lot of them have them in their homes now. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, I don't know, it's it's much more hands-on. Let's put it that way a you know?
2: rumor has it that you had some of your players when they got in trouble they had a babysit' the eight girls is that is that well, true well, I mean, I, 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 it's a rumor I'm just wondering it's probably
1: it's probably an insane violation but the amount of money I probably gave them was uh, minimal uh yeah once a, some of the kids uh some of the kids needed a free meal
0: more than, <laughs> more than anything
1: and some yeah. were a little some were a little further from home so they right. didn't get a chance to you know, enjoy uh, a little bit of a home life. But, yeah, the uh, some of the money, if I, if I gave a check, I told don't cash until the first of the month, you know. Uh, I was paid with those rosary beads and the Venus. There wasn't a whole lot of cash floating around. But, hey Coach, just kind of looking back over the course of your career, you know, even going back to high school, uh, can you really at this point in your life appreciate everything you've accomplished on and off the court and Ken, you also appreciate being a parent how proud your mom and dad must have been of you uh back in your high school days when you're winning all those awards Uh, well you guys are very nice i wish you'd beat me up a little bit uh (laughs) you know i I, i've always been one to move on kind of you know It, it was a thrill um you know again getting back to home life at our dinner uh It was never about an award that any one of, we have three, uh, my brother and sister, uh, they just passed away within the last year. But Rita became a nun. Franny became a superintendent of schools. And it was never about you, only momentarily. If, uh, you know, you had some accolade that was brought up to the house. uh, It was uh, next, what, Francis, what happened to you today? Uh, How was school? So it was never, it was like a... uh, a very adult, intelligent approach uh, to making sure you didn't become a nitwit. And I, and I think uh, it, was, it was as healthy an environment as it could be. And, and we all have seen guys who sort of get a little bit carried away with their self-importance no matter what profession you're in. And it's just not the way it should be. And, and if people look at me that way, it's strictly because of the home
2: life. You, you, you walk the walk, coach. You have humility just oozing out of your pores. It's a pleasure.
0: Uh, I don't know about that. Oh, yes, come on. Wife. Check with my wife. <laughs> last, last question, coach, and we'll, and we'll, and we'll wrap this up. What, what was some of the biggest moments for you behind the microphone? You talked about when you were coaching, but what about behind the microphone? Obviously, the send it in, Jerome, really really built you, uh, built you up a little bit. What are some of the other ones that, that people may not know?
1: Wow. Uh, Well, one that's sort of funny is the first game I did uh, for the Big East, it wasn't the Big East Network, it was ESPN, but it was at Walsh and Danny Calandrillo hit a jumper to beat Providence at the buzzer and he ran over and kissed me on the lips. (laughs) And I said, later, Danny, you know what that means in the mob? I'm history, you know, kiss me on the cheek, but... Uh, th- that was a great remembrance because it was probably the first game that we did. Like all the Big East finals, you know, in the old days, we used to do them. Uh, I guess the six overtime game yeah. was something that I just you don't see
0: that all the time. Um,
1: amazing uh, response by these players and the fatigue. Like we, I, I forget the kids now, but they had a couple of subs in it at Syracuse and their head was down. Their arms were, they were totally exhausted uh so that's that was a special thrill and you know the nice thing about uh, being around a while i did a lot of final fours um like i would say 10 or 11 on radio and the last six uh, on tv and and like just just to see the emotion and how important it is to get there and then the heartbreak for kids when they happen to lose it because that heartache stays for a lifetime and then, you know, Chuck, you were fortunate enough. And, you know, Sonny following his Syracuse team, they won it in the early 2000s. Uh, it's just yeah. something that you can't describe to people to be a part of it, uh, no matter what contribution you made. Uh, so, I, I, you know, the NCAA tournaments sort of lift your game. The Big East sort of lifts your game. Uh, you know, the Ray Allen field goal. Uh, we had a couple where St. John's had a couple of buzzer beaters, uh, you know, the uh, the number one versus two, Georgetown, St. John's in 85. And, and, I, and I think one of the biggest thrills, uh, I wasn't announcing the game, was the uh, three teams to the Big East got to the Final Four in 85. Right. That was yeah. – and I remember sitting next to Trangisi, and we can't root, you know, overtly, we've got to – you can't root for anybody, you know, you, people will be saying you like that team better. But just to see those three teams get there with Memphis – was, uh, yeah. it was an accomplishment that Dave wanted and probably we thought he was nuts in 78, 79, saying that this is what our goal is. You know, we want to become the best conference in the country. And, uh, you know, they did. I mean, they had a run that was incredible. And now the, uh, you know, the new league is working its way. And thanks to Villanova it got instant recognition with two championships. And these teams are just tough outs no matter who they play. So, yeah. it, you know, it's still the continuing work in progress, but at an extremely high level. And, you know, it lays at the feet of Dave to get all these guys to buy in and uh, give them all a start. And, you know, it's, it's just been a wonderful road for all of us to be part of.
0: Well, with that, I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. Thank you so very much for taking the time out to hang with us a little bit. It feel like, uh, We were just sitting around shooting the breeze with you. It was really great. And uh, I really, really appreciate you coming out and and talking with us today. Well, You guys
1: made that league special. You're a big part of it. and uh, You know, I'm glad uh, Chuck told me about your success and the nice things you do, Sonny. So uh, both of you got a lot more out of the basketball, but uh, it was probably the basis of your success, though. You know, the competitiveness and teamwork and being a part of something big.
2: Coach, where are you in New Jersey now? Are you in Kearney now? No, no, Florham Park. Flor- it's Florham Park, okay. I yeah, got relatives they- down there. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah we, my wife we raised,
1: we raised the kids in West Orange, and we're actually Florida residents. But because of the crazy TV deal, yeah. the dining room, I think I told Chuck this on the phone the other day, the dining room is like a studio. And I told my wife, it's really nice. We're finally using the dining room for something constructive we haven't had a meal there in like 30 years. So, <laughs> uh, so that midweek Fox has me there. Like tomorrow, I've got UConn Providence here. And then the weekend, uh, I've got Villanova's game with UConn also. I'm brain dead. I'm pretty sure it is UConn. And yeah, uh, UConn. then I've got Michigan, Ohio state on Sunday, CBS has a studio up by the Meadowlands, uh, Clifton. So, uh, we haven't gone to florida although we're hoping to go next week for a few days you know
2: yeah yeah right now would be a great time don't you think
1: oh my god it's <laughs> you know with, with, uh, i'll leave you with this uh i was making travel plans for next week going to florida and the uh, the gal i was talking to with cbs she was saying they have a skeleton crew in wisconsin the game we did yesterday and some are still in wisconsin and summer half of the crew is in Chicago with all the weather in the Midwest. I'm going, Oh my God, what a break uh, being in the studio for the weekend. So they've eliminated those woes of travel, but it, by the way, it isn't the same because you don't get a chance to talk to players, coaches. I mean, you talk to them, but not at a practice, uh, you know, where they either empty their soul or, Mm -hmm. you know, share some insights that maybe, uh, you know, enhance the broadcast. But uh, the gym is still
2: a sacred place, coach. It's still yeah. a sacred place.
1: Yeah, it is. Well, it's been good. It's been, it sounds like it's been good to all of us. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Amen. I'm sure these kids are enjoying it too.
2: Yep. Well, thanks, coach. All right.
1: Thank good you. luck. Guys, appreciate to it. Hope to see you at one point, guys. Nick, yep. Thank you,
0: too. Thanks again, Bill. Thanks You've been care. listening oh, okay. to the Big East Rewind Zoomcast with Daryl Gurney. Sonny Sparrow and myself, Chuck Everson. The Big East rerun Zoomcast was produced by Nick Chorus. Thank you very much for watching. Have a great day. Take care, guys. Thanks, guys.
2: Peace. Thanks, coach.
0: Thanks, coach.
2: Take care. Bye-bye. All right. See you
1: later.